0: You're going to get five, and you're going to be in much trouble. Yes, I want the Maserati. Yes, I want the Academy Award. I wanted it when I was 12, and I still want it to this day.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Dev Show. I'm super excited today to be bringing a guest back on the show that we've had on about a year ago. You know him from Spider-Man. You're out, Norman, is his famous line in Spider-Man 1.
0: You're out, Norman.
1: Super excited to be welcoming a now friend of the show, Jack Betts, also known as Hunt Powers.
0: And I'm in! (laughs) $500,000!
1: Let's give him a call, shall we? hello hi jack this is Dev. hi
0: how are you hello. doing
1: good how are you okay jack it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here on the dev show again it's been a year since we last spoke how are you
0: i'm terrific i'm terrific By terrific that i mean i'm be. saying creator <laughs>
1: absolutely that's what you told me about a, a year ago was that uh Creativity is your lifeline, and and that still applies, right?
0: Oh, definitely. I mean, creativity is is your lifeline, and without that, uh, one is uh, just wandering through life without any purpose, you know. And uh, I'm blessed that I've had this insatiable curiosity about uh, acting and. And I'm uh, curious about myself and everything since I was 10 years old. Find out, you know, you gotta jump in the water to find out how deep it is. And I and I did when I was 10 years old.
1: And you're still in that water where you
0: are oh, yeah, now in your life. Definitely. Oh yeah. I'm, what, and that's I wouldn't, fantastic. Um, I don't know that word retirement. I don't know what the hell that means. Retire from what, retire from life? I don't think so. Right. Right.
1: So our interview did pretty well uh, when we did it last year. Obviously, we were in a, quite a unique situation, and uh, through all of that, I had the opportunity and fortune of speaking with uh, like Carol Burnett, uh, Ed Asner, um, who else? Connie Francis.
0: I knew Ed Asner just a little bit, mm-hmm. but Carol Burnett is one of my uh, one of my great idols absolutely extraordinary when you look at the shows that she did one show a week the talent that that woman had in dancing and acting and just talking to people and she was extraordinary and she what well, she still is you know but mm-hmm. she was an absolutely extraordinary example of um the possibility of of what she can do she just she did everything she tried everything and and it all worked Uh, plus the fact she had an extraordinary sense of humor. And and somehow in this business, I think you need that. You got to sometimes laugh at yourself. Be willing to.
1: I agree with you. Um, So as I did these interviews and I learned so many different things about being an interviewer and uh, about being an actor, I learned different things from different careers, the more people that I that I talked to and in the time that I've been doing it, I've thought of so many different questions that, you know, I wish I would have asked Jack that, I wish wish I would have asked Hunt that. Um, So I'm glad that we're able to do
0: this and catch up. It's interesting that you just used the word interview, because when you Mm -hmm. think about it, what the actor is doing is he's interviewing his life. Mm -hmm. And you can quote me on that. I think it's a very good example. We're interviewing ourselves to see, can we yeah. do this? And uh, I've always somehow found a way to say, just do it. That was Marty Land. That was a very dear, close friend of mine. And that was his philosophy of life. Just do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. Great yeah. sense of humor.
1: So last time we talked, you were writing a play And I was wondering how that turned out. Where are you in that process?
0: Uh, Well, look, I'm working on a movie, which is getting ready to uh, talk about casting and about production and so forth. But it comes from my play that I did called It Goes Like This. I did this play about seven or eight years ago here in Hollywood. I've done about five of my plays here in Hollywood five of my plays produced but this one is very very special and it was called it goes like this and now I've written it into uh, a a movie script and I have an extraordinary director who's in love with it and we're working on uh, uh, getting into into production there's so much I can tell you and so much I can't tell you you know yeah of course and I've changed the name of the it goes like this and uh it's now uh a movie and i can't tell you the title either because i don't want to lose the title, That's okay you know but we're okay. um my, my my director just came back from prague he was directing a movie in prague and he just got back and we are going to start uh, having just a, a reading of the screenplay and then start with the casting and raising the money but uh, he's very excited about it i'm very excited about it he's extremely talented and um I'm, I'm just looking forward that's keeping me going
1: that's fantastic that's awesome i wanted to talk to you a little bit about your career we we did touch on it briefly but i was wondering if i could ask you uh more about how you started uh, the different aspects of your career? Because there are many, right? You did music, as well as theater, as well as writing,
0: and film. Yes, as a matter of fact, I started out when I was 10 years old, when my mother decided to move us out of Jersey City and drive down to Miami, Florida. And that changed Beautiful. my entire life. And uh, I was there, 10 years old, and I auditioned for a radio show, W I O D in Miami for a talent contest. And I sang a song called Green Eyes. And I sang it in Spanish. And I won first prize, $25. And at that particular time, the radio shows had audiences in them. So the, I had wonderful yeah. applause. And I sure liked the sound of that applause. And then uh, I began doing more singing. And because during that time, it was during World War One. No, World War I, God, not, not World War One. thank you very much. Uh, uh, World War Two, and there were a lot of, uh, Miami Florida it was a military base for all of the uh, armed forces, the Navy, the Army, the Marines, and so forth. So it was filled with the uh, military. And they had a lot of uh, clubs there, USO clubs. And my sister and my mother would go and dance with the guys, and I would go and sing. And I used to sing at a lot of these USO shows. So I was doing my singing, and um, that's when it really all sort of began to blossom for me, how I loved that applause and loved the audience, the attention of the audience.
1: And then you kind of navigated your way through music and discovered theater as well, right?
0: Well, yes, when I got into school and to high school, I began uh, acting, taking the drama courses and acting in in the plays at the University of Miami Senior High School. And then when I went on to University of Miami where I graduated, uh, I got into the drama department there as well. And uh, as a matter of fact, we did a a wonderful production of Light at the Sky. And it was so well received because it was the Ring Theater which was very, very popular in Miami, Florida. aside from the fact that it was the University it was a very, very commercial theater. And our production The Light Up the Sky was so good that we got an invitation to do it in Havana, Cuba. And they brought the entire company over to Havana, Cuba and we did Light Up the Sky in Havana, Cuba, which was kind of unusual, but it was a hell of a lot of fun. And that's when I fell in love with Cuba. I went back several times since then, you know, because Miami, Florida at that time was filled with Cuban people because really, uh, from Key West, it was really only 90 miles away on a a ferry. And uh, we used to, my mother and I used to go over, you know, every once in a while. But uh, I was doing acting in the high school, in the plays there, and then began to uh, do uh, other theater outside of the university and um just become involved with things that were not high school but the ring theater was extremely yeah. professional and it was like a, it was one of the major theaters in Miami Florida so uh, it was not just a uh, a university production it was really like a theater a regular theater and we did a lot of plays there when you
1: played when you were in theater did you have a
0: goal in mind, where you want to be. I know you ended up playing Dracula at one point, correct? An Academy Award. That's what I wanted. I wanted an Academy Award to show you how superficial and greedy I was. (laughs) I wanted an Oscar, and I wanted a Grammy, and I wanted all of the awards. It was a passion. I just had a passion for, for acting. I knew that I wanted to go to New York, and I managed to, on $54, I managed to make my way to New York City and lived at the YMCA paying $10 a month and making the rounds in New York City in 1955, 60, and um, mm-hmm. getting involved in theater right immediately. Once I graduated from the University of Miami, I got out of there and went to New York because it, my, it was my dream to be in New York mm-hmm. and be on Broadway. And I, that passion kept me going.
1: What was your headspace like when you were moving
0: into New York? I want a job and I want to be on Broadway. I want to be on stage. I wanna I wanna be a star. And, and that, one for an example of that is after I was in New York for quite a while. I went to see a play called Dracula. Yeah. Was, uh, and uh, when I saw that play I sat in the last row in the balcony. And when I saw that play, I said to myself, I'd give anything in the world to play that part, and I am going to play that part. Well, about six or eight or nine months later, after making the rounds, which is what actors did at that particular time, you know, you make the rounds, you leave your photograph on your resume, and you've dropped them off at the theater for the stage manager. And I kept going by the Beck Theater. And, um leaving my foot again. And finally, I got a call that I could audition for a, a part in Dracula. It was running at the Martin Beck theater, a big hit. And uh, mm-hmm. I managed to do that audition. They liked the audition very much. I was going to be reading for the father. And I read for the father and I got it. And I said, I don't know how the hell I had such call to do it. I said, I uh, I would like to take the part very much, but only if I could stand by for Dracula. And they were very surprised that I would make that kind of demand. They thought that, well, just getting the parts you got is enough, you know? And mm-hmm. um finally they said, well, yes, we can arrange an audition for you. And so once I got the job of standing by for the father, I did an audition for Dracula. And I auditioned and uh, I got it. I got to be able to to play the father and also stand by for Dracula. And I managed to uh, go on, believe it or not, because one particular night, I was home painting my kitchen. At that particular time, all you had to do really was to just phone in you know phone Mm -hmm. and say i'm here and um that's that's all you had to do you didn't have to go to the theater every night you know and um one this one particular night i was pending my house painting my apartment and i called in and they said yes everything's fine and about 20 minutes later i got a call saying how fast can you get here and i said why but they said said one word good evening and he lost his voice because he had been in cuba for a long time and yeah, he had yeah. lost his voice when he came back he all he walked on the stage and all of a sudden he couldn't say the next line he absolutely choked and wow i raced like hell to get there, and I did. And I got to the the theater, and there were 1,500 people standing outside waiting for me to go on. And um, it was Raul Julia that I stood by for at that time because Raul Julia had taken over for Frank, and uh, he was playing the lead. And um, I got there from my apartment on 56th Street. The theater was on 46th Street. I got there, and I my god i don't know how the hell i got there but i did and there were 1500 people waiting out in the street so in like 20 minutes i got to make that the whole gown everything and i was ready to go on and i was ready and i did And that particular time when you were standing by particularly you only you had to do a rehearsal once a week and right. uh, I'd rehearse once a week for the part of Dracula, just in case, you know. And yeah. the thing that I didn't get a chance to rehearse was all the trap doors that I had to go through. You know, go down to the basement, go to the other side of the theater, jump in, and all of a sudden I appear in the window or I appear in the door. Yeah. The technical part, I never got a chance to rehearse. So when I did, when I went on, I must say, the first line he has is good evening he says, you know, that, that, yep. that, that tone of voice you know and the audience broke out into immediate applause they were so glad to have have me uh, to be able to see dracula and um i yep. got every damn line and didn't trip and didn't miss one damn thing and it was one of the best curtain calls i ever took in my life <laughs> it was just fantastic That was a great experience. My point being is that the actor has to have that kind of crazy foresight and that kind of crazy wish, that kind of desire, and that kind of passion to be able to say, I'm going to play that part. And I sat in the back of the theater when I went to see it, and I said that to myself. I'm going to play that part. Now it took eight months for me to get to the audition, but my point being is that the actor has to want something aside from just you know being in the theater. You have to want it with great passion, and I've had that all my life. And um, part of that is greed and selfishness, because along the way you lose some friends and some people along the way because what you are doing is more important than a social life and just having fun. And that's been sort of my guideline. I've missed a lot of fun along the way, maybe lost some friends, but yeah. I never lost my eyesight for that, uh, that speck down the road of life that I wanted, you know? Yeah. That that Academy Award, all of that, all that that goes with it. It's not just the the Academy Award. It's it's reaching that kind of level in your life where that many people like you. I mean, for example, Mm -hmm. when I went to a, my, they had a film festival in New Mexico about three years ago. And what they were saluting was a film that I did in Italy called Sugar one of my. Fifteen Western films that I did. And they were honoring yeah. my my film at that particular time, and um, they uh, they had the evening. They saw the film, they all liked it, and then they were also giving out awards to other actors for other films that were shown. And then finally, on the screen, the, the, the MC came out and he said, but "Now, ladies and gentlemen, for the major part of the evening." Uh, i'd like to and all of a sudden on the screen in huge letters said lifetime achievement award to jack betts when i saw that i couldn't believe it i almost broke out in tears and everybody stood up and cheered and screamed and everything and i walked up on stage and and accepted the lifetime achievement award if someone could expect to tell you something, this is the first war I've ever gotten in my entire life. And How honored I am to be part of the first Borderlands International Film Festival. Woo-hoo! What an honor. That was one of the Phenomenal. most exciting moments of my life, I think. Because you finally say. To yourself, I'm going to do it, and I'm damn good. God damn it, they like me. They like me, and I like myself for liking them liking me. Yeah, it's an acceptance of self. It's an acceptance of self, and I've accepted that applause and said to myself, "Yes, I've earned that. I deserve it. I love you all for it." It was a very important moment in my life because my movie is basically about acceptance self-acceptance whether we accept ourselves like we accept friends or other people and a lot of people go through life not accepting themselves and that award that I got when I saw them standing up and yelling and cheering and screaming I said to myself yeah I accept it I accept myself I'm good I'm damn good and that not that's not said in, in the sense of ego you know what i mean i know it's said uh, in, in honesty so and i'm also writing my autobiography you know which is going on and on and on well, it's beginning to bore yeah. the hell out of me anyway writing the book bu- the book yeah yeah about all the experiences i've had you know my life in, in italy for seven years working on 15 western films and doing a film with Richard Burton, Doran Trotsky and working mm-hmm. with Bridget Bardot, you know, and people like that and, uh, and being a member of the Actors Studio, being given a personal scholarship by Lee Strasberg and then auditioning for the Actors Studio itself and England Kazan put me in the lead and Cat in the Hot tin Roof on the national company that came out of my audition wow and it's interesting how i got to how i auditioned for the actor's studio which during the 40s 50s 60s 70s and, and still is one of the great institutes in, uh, in acting as you know the actor's studio i'm sure you've heard about it yeah and uh and uh i auditioned for that uh i was living in new york when i first came to new york after i graduated from the university of miami about 1954. i uh I was in New York working at a lamp factory making $28 a week. <laughs> and I met a dear friend of mine uh, in New York. She was she graduated with me at the University of Miami at the Drama Department. And she said, oh, Jack, I was wondering if you he would help me. I'm auditioning for the Actors Studio. And uh, would you help me with the scene? And I said, sure, what the hell is the Actors Studio? I didn't know what it was. And uh, she said, well, it's a place where all the famous actors go and study. And I said, well, sure, sure, I'll be glad to. So we worked on the scene for uh, two or three weeks. We went in, did the audition at the actor's studio. I watched Lee Strasberg and Ilya Kazan were the judges. And two days later, I got a phone call at the the factory where I worked. I worked for a lab company. And it was Lee Strasberg on the phone saying, I saw the audition the other night, would you like to study with me? And I said, no, shows you how stupid I was. He said, why? I said, first of all, I can't afford it. And secondly, I don't think anybody can teach anybody how to act. He said, you're wrong about the first and I'll take care of the second, come in and see me. And <laughs> I did, I didn't know who Stanislavski was. I didn't know what the method was, any of it. Anyway, I went in and met him and he gave me a three year scholarship at the Actors Studio. And um, after that, I auditioned for the actor studio itself. Because his classes, that was for his first private classes that I got the scholarship. And then I auditioned for the actor's studio. And that's when Kazan saw me and put me in Cat in a Hot Tin Roof. And they still have it. You know, it's still going. It's going yeah. In New York. And they, and they have it out here as well. Would you mind if we
1: touched on your relationship with Doris
0: Roberts? She's my best friend. I met Doris at the Actors Studio in 1954, and we became very good friends then. And I loved it because she she reminded me of Susan Haywood, who was one of my favorite actresses in the movies. And Doris and I became good friends. And then she moved out here to California because she got a wonderful commercial. And um, she moved to California and became very close friends with Carol Burnett and began doing um, parts on on television shows, you know? And then she bought a beautiful home out here. And I was still living in New York. And I think in the late 70s or beginning of the 80s, she bought a beautiful home uh, here in, in California. I had my own beautiful apartment in New York City, which I loved. And eventually I came out here to do a pilot. The pilot, I came out there To to audition for a 20th Century Puffs, I didn't get. But uh, I I got in touch with Doris again, and we began going out and having dinner and so forth. And uh, then I decided I was going to stay out here and and rent my apartment in New York, and I did. And Doris finally said, You know, I have an entire apartment downstairs in the bottom of my house, Jack. You know, why don't you think about uh, moving in? And I thought, my God, I can't do that. I said, well, yeah, I could do I said, I only under one condition, that you let me pay the rent. And she said, no, absolutely not. I said, well, I can't do that. She said, oh, yes, you can. You know, it's a wonderful apartment. The swimming pool is right outside your door and everything. And it was a great, a great apartment downstairs. And um, that was in the 1988 that I moved into her house. And she would never accept anything from me. It was incredible. She absolutely refused. But Jaris and I were yeah. the best friends to the very end. We had wonderful times together, my God. It used to be her escort all the time going to all these parties and things at, at the Beverly Hills Hotel and everything. And one of the great moments I had was when we both met Buzz Aldrin. And I can't believe really? that I shook hands with the man. I shook hands with the man who walked on the moon. I couldn't believe it. That <laughs> I guy I just gave you a hug, and he was so yeah. nice about it. And, and I can't believe that I hugged and shook the hands of the man who walked on the moon. And that was probably one of the most exciting things in my life. I was fascinated by that. Anyway, Doris well, and I had that. parties that. We parties everyone to we went to, and just we had a great time. We really did. She had a great sense of humor and very supportive of me. And you know, she was wonderful. Yeah.
1: It's good to have a good friend.
0: Oh God, yeah, yeah. She was, she was my lifelong friend. She really was.
1: Did she direct your play? Uh,
0: a few. Yes. She did. Yes, yeah. take one. Yes, yes, she did, and was very successful and. Uh, we had a, had a ball directing that. We really did. Absolutely wonderful. Great working with her. I mean, I did her show, Everybody Loves Raymond. I was on that a couple of times. She and she went, ended up winning five Emmys or six Emmys, you know, Yeah. for doing that show. She was her performance likes. is fantastic. Oh, God. Funny as hell. But she was in Absolutely. real life, you know.
1: I can imagine, yeah. And then, uh, last couple things I want to touch on is, of course, film. And um, we, in our previous interview, discussed your remarkable career in westerns with Franco Giraldi. Do you ever watch your westerns?
0: Sometimes I do. Yes, sometimes I do. <clears throat> but the thing that's interesting about that, I, I did. I was working with Paul. Paul Conan was my agent at that particular time, at nineteen sixty nine. And he called me and he said, uh, uh, he, I, I, I was on my way home and I thought I'd call him. And of course, that was the day they didn't have cell phones. So I had to get out and stop in Schwab's, which was the bottom of Crescent Heights and uh, Laurel Canyon. And I said, uh, Paul, and just call him to see if anything's going on. He said, well, there's a director in from Italy. And he's been in New York for three weeks and he hasn't been able to find anybody for his films, if you want to come in to meet him. I said, my God, yes. I was there in like, you know, 20 minutes. And in the meantime, he had shown him a couple of my television shows, you know. And I met this Franco Giraldi, and he couldn't have been nicer. And he said to me, uh, Mr. Mr. Best, do you ride the horse? And I said, oh, yes, I've been doing that for years. A friend of mine works at a ranch. i would never been on a horse in my life, ever. Right. And he said he said and do you shoot the gun i said oh franco as a matter of fact last week i won a first prize in structure shooting contest in, uh, over in the valley i had never had a gun in my hand ever ever you know yeah and uh, so I, how i got that job is amazing he said well i i've seen your book and he said um, would you like uh, to come to Italy and do a Western film called True And I said, I would like very much to Mr. Jolene. He said, very good. And I will see you in Italy in three weeks in Cinecita. And I can't believe it. Now, mind you, I had you no there. experience at all on horses. Nothing. Absolutely. But a friend of mine did work at John Wayne's ranch. And he yep. was around horses, all, you know, all the time. So I called him up and I said, Frank, you've got to teach me how to ride a fucking horse and shoot a gun. I'm gonna be doing some a Western film in Italy. Well, in three weeks, he taught me how to ride and how to shoot a gun. And I arrived at Trinidad and my, uh, that time I was working also to, to make some money on the side. I was working for a very famous public relations lady named Helen Ferguson who was a public relations president for for Barbara Stanwyck and Robert Taylor and Loretta Young. And I was working for her. And she said, oh, she was so glad that I got this job. She said, Jack, you can't go to Italy with the name of Jack Betts. And I said, why not? She said, how do you say, what are they gonna call you, Giacomo Betts? You can't, you gotta have another name. So she did some researching in my family background and she found powers on one side of the family and Huntington on the distaff side of the family, and she put them together, and she came out with the name of Hunt Powers. And I said, "Oh God, that's great!" So, yeah, I arrived in Italy as Hunt Powers, not as Jack betts and that was the beginning of my career. And I did the the fighting and the how I did all that amazes me when I think back on it. When I look at the film and I of think, course. "That's damn good." And I didn't know, and I mean, I had theater training. I had never been done any boxing or punching somebody in the mouth and kicking them in the ass and throwing them across the room. And, it was a violent, and the fights we did were quite violent and in yep. uh, those Western films. They really were. And how I did it, to this day, I don't know. I just did it. It's like Marty Landau said, just do it. Yeah. And grab this guy's neck and punch him in the mouth. Don't punch him, actually, you know. Obviously, not, I knew how to avoid that. Did, did he hurt you? huh? That's how I did it. I did on the, I did all the horses, things, and it was so funny because I had a manager that I took with me, a very dear friend of mine named Chet Foley. And I said, Chet, you, he was in insurance, and I said, would you like to go to Italy with me and be my manager, forgive me? He said, Oh, sure, that'd be great. So he handled all the things for me. Quite frankly, and everybody was crazy about it. But it came the day that I had been working for a couple of weeks in Rome, and we had to go to Spain to work to start working on uh, the, working on the hills and the mountains and the horse and everything. And we went to spend a, a little town called Almeria, which is at the southern part of, of Spain. And that's where they had the villages that looked exactly like Arizona. You'd swear you were in America. They had this one little village built and it was just incredible what they had done and um, now I said no, today you must choose the horse that you want to use for the rest of the movie and I said meantime they had about 25 horses all lined up and the entire crew and the other actors were all there and I, he said, Frank, I said, Frank, do you want me to choose the horse? He said, Oh, it's very really important that you have your own horse, Mr. Powers. And so I turned to Chet and I said, Chet, I don't know how to choose a fucking horse. You know? Is- and he said, Well, Jack, you better go over and do it. So I went over to all these horses lined up and they all looked alike. They're all horses. I mean, I didn't put it lined up. And so. I opened one's mouth or something like that, and so forth, and I, I said, I gotta look like I know what I'm doing, said, He said, well, that's what you're doing, a good job of it. And so on. I picked up one horse, and there was something about it, and I said, oh, Franco, this is the one. This is the horse that's perfect. And he said, you want that one?
1: <laughs> and I
0: said, yeah, definitely. And he said, all, all the guys in the, in the crew and all the, you know, the butch extra, guy or a cowboy and everything else said oh no you don't want that one mr powers you don't want that one mr powers. i said why he said that's the oldest one in the whole group i couldn't believe it i said there's something about this horse Franko, that i think is right well it turned out that that horse was absolutely fantastic did all the things it was supposed to do it was wonderful for me and it, and the name of the horse i remember to this day his name was Momerto. And Momerto, Momerto became Momerto. Yeah. And it be, he became the the sort of sign for the for the entire company. Everybody was great. They wow. would bring him carrots in the morning or apples or whatever. Everybody loved him. And I had a great, great time doing that. And uh, there came times where Franco, the director, would say, Okay now now Hunt, what I want you to do is to take the horse and ride over to the edge of the hill and when I looked down at the bottom of the hill, it was like, you know, 700 or almost 1,000 feet below me. And I'm on the horse. And I said, Franco, I have to tell you something. In America, we have something called stuntmen who do these kind of things you're asking me to do so that the actor doesn't get hurt. And he said, oh, oh, okay, you, you worry about that. I said, it's very important because if something should happen to me, the picture is over, you know. So they, they got to the stuntman to do it. They didn't, because the, the Italians at that time, they just loved doing the movies. They would do anything. You know, he said, jump off the roof, do this. They, they just jumped in and did it. Their enthusiasm and their passion for acting was just extraordinary. I learned a lot from them. I really did. And um, sure. doing a lot of that stuff became very, and as a matter of fact, After I don't know the fourth or fifth picture we did, we had a scene in a bakery, and it was uh, I had I had to really I was the hero in the film obviously, and I had to do uh, you know a lot of fighting in this particular scene, and there was a knock at the door and I opened the door and I was supposed to grab this guy and and punch him in the face and push him and everything, and it was like two o'clock in the morning. Yep. And I said Frank. I think I'm a little bit tired. You know, maybe can we do this tomorrow? He said, "Oh, but Hunt." He said, "Well, and I, th- I just have a feeling it's going to be very good if we do it now, so we can move to the next location." I said, "Well, okay, let's do it." And so we did. I opened the door. I grabbed this guy, moved him, punched the hell out of me and took him, shoved his head in a big vat of dough. And when i lifted him back up there was blood streaming down his face and i thought oh my god i couldn't believe it Mm
1: -hmm. what i had
0: done actually actually i I had slightly i guess i had hit him and i didn't realize it and but immediately they cut the the car and we had to take him to the hospital it turned out that i had sprained his nose almost broken his nose yeah and the next day in the Madrid paper, said American actor knocks out kickbox champion of Spain. He was a kickbox champion, and the only worked in, in movies because he was a friend of the of Franklin, the director, and he liked doing it. He wasn't an actor, but right. Also, when I had done, when I was in the hospital with him, and I said, "Are you sure he's all right?" He said, "Fine." He said, "Let me look at your hand." I said, "No, no, no I'm fine, fine." He said, "No, you're not fine. You've broken your finger there." So I had broken my finger. And I had to put myself they had to put a cast on it so for two and a half weeks I had to sort of hide the fact that my hand was in a cast while I'm doing all this shooting and fighting those are some of the crazy things that happened you know but they were yeah all wonderful experience working in Italy with all those actors because they loved acting they were they they loved being part of uh, of the production and they would do anything anything mm-hmm and it was an extraordinary experience learning how the Italian people, they live for the moment. This moment is the most important thing of their life. I don't know what's gonna happen when you go home, but all I know is that I love you now. And that's the most important, and that's, that's the way they live. They live for the moment. And I learned a lot from them, I really did. It was an incredible experience. So I had six and a half years of that and 15 films.
1: Sounds like it was an incredible experience.
0: What were oh, your emotions like? Here.
1: What were your emotions like when you had to return home?
0: Well, it was very difficult because you know my dear friend Jimmy Coco was doing a film called Man of La Mancha with Peter O'Toole and Sophia Loren, and he came over to Italy and we had a lot of fun together. And he said, "I'll tell you something." This is an incredible place and if you don't go home jack you'll never go because he wanted to buy property and move there and he was right after being there for six and a half years i really didn't want to go home but i knew that i had to because in a way the whole italian western thing had run its course and uh i had to get back to uh to america to get back on american television because the thing that chet found out is that the hotel next to mine was clint eastwood and he would go i'd see him in the morning and wave to him and he'd go up to his mountain and do his western and i'd go up to my mountain and do my western well chet my manager found out that that he got uh, his films had international distribution all over the world my films were distributed all over the world except canada and america and right. when Chet found that out, he, I, I couldn't believe it. Could not believe it. So I was a huge star in France, in Paris, and Germany, and all those places. You know, incredible. But my my film never got distributed in America. And that's what really made Clint Eastwood a star. Was doing yeah. those films. The good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah. And that's uh, and that was that was the only thing I really Infuriated both Shet and I that the contract that my agent made was not a good contract in that sense, you know.
1: No, but like you said, the living for the living for the now and the moment. You have so many stories to reminisce on. Now,
0: oh my God, yes, yes.
1: Last time we did talk a little bit about your experience on Spider-Man, and um, now I. I don't know if you know this or not, but did you know that they're bringing back all of the original characters and actors? Like Willem Dafoe is now, he's back as the Green Goblin again.
0: Oh, really? Oh, I loved working with him. He was wonderful. Because the one that we, I think that Spider-Man we did was one of the best one, And he was wonderful. Yeah, for sure. Wonderful. So talented. And a great guy. Loved working with him. Loved it.
1: The question that... I have been asking is, oh come on, you have to get Jack back in Spider Man. Jack, do you know that <laughs> Do you know that millions upon millions of people know who you are from Spider-Man?
0: I'm not aware that 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 well known, but it
1: uh, all over ni- the world. That's
0: nice to know. That's nice to know.
1: I was gonna say on like on behalf of my generation in the i'm 18 now um (laughs) spider-man was fantastic and um i want you to know that from from me that uh we all know who you are and we all uh we all love it
0: oh thank you thank you thank you
1: but yeah the famous line you're out norman
0: oh god yeah oh yeah we did that particular set take at the at the the table with the other 12 men or, or I don't know, 10 or 12, something like that. I did that same line for about four and a half hours, and while they did the close ups on all the other men. And finally, yeah. when it came to do my close up, it was like three o'clock in the morning, and I turned to the director and I said, I said, Sam, hey, would you mind if I try him with just a little more, maybe a little slight bit of humor to it? And, he said sure try what you want jack and he sat down right at the floor next to me while they did my close-up and that's when i said you're fired you know but the way i did it was different than the way i had done it all day long you know and that little yeah. bit uh he, he was willing to let me do anything i wanted you know jack
1: hunt hunt powers yes I, oh, that's so- yes <laughs> I'm so happy that you decided to join me.
0: My pleasure. Really, my pleasure. Do you ever get out to California?
1: I have never been to California.
0: Wow. That's a whole different world out here.
1: <laughs> where,
0: where are you located?
1: I'm in Niagara Falls, Canada.
0: Oh. Yeah. Wow. Am I the right New York. Iran, are going to and New York? you ever go to New York? Yeah, Do you I've ever never to been York? to New York. Wow, Deb, you got to get out and see the world. I know
1: there are a <laughs> lot of places that I'm
0: longing to see, Jack. Yeah, no, New York is uh, New York and California are, are you know, sort of major spots in America that one sh- shouldn't miss because of uh, what they are and what they, the history behind them. Those two yeah. states, particularly, you know. Anyway, it was great talking with you. I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you. And stay in touch.
1: I will. I would love to meet you one day.
0: Okay, definitely. Take care.
1: All right. Thanks, Jack. Bye-bye.
0: Okay, bye-bye.